but we're video casting. Okay. Not just podcasting, so I'm supposed to look. You're supposed look to look together. good. Yeah. Yeah. Which, good try. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was just going to be heard, not seen. This is huge for us, Alex. We're video casting. Awesome. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be beneficial for people's souls while, while watching this, actually. <laughs> but because beauty Seeing is supposed us. to inspire yeah, salvation, I know. and I know. I'm not sure if we're delivering that. But we'll just have to concentrate harder. Yeah, well, there you go. Sorry to all of you. <laughs> no, I wanted to have this conversation about virtue. And the reason why I wanted to have this conversation about virtue is because Andrew Willard-Jones, our buddy, recently defined politics or to do politics as mm-hmm. to engage in making people virtuous. Mm-hmm. And so in other words, our social order should be an order that enables, readies, prepares, achieves, helps us to achieve rather salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is something where God is welcomed to do supernatural work in us, uh, that we might have a supernatural end in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a big part of his argument then depends on, on a proper understanding of virtue. Right. I know that you teach uh, mm-hmm. virtue ethics, mm-hmm. that uh, we've had a lot of conversations about it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a big debate that's actually happening around virtues and, and particularly um, kind of an Augustinian versus mm-hmm. a Thomistic versus uh, a Franciscan mm-hmm. understanding of the virtues, what right. they are, how they differ, which view is correct? Mm-hmm. Are the views actually different? Mm-hmm. Or are they actually all the same? And ultimately how it relates to this political vision. And ultimately how so it relates to this political in, vision. Yeah. So book 12 and 19 of The City of God, mm-hmm. St. Augustine's great tome, right. as it were, uh, speaks about the pagan virtues. Right. Um, and so he praises the... Uh, the Romans for being honorable mm-hmm. uh, and brave mm-hmm. and says their honor and their bravery, which mm-hmm. were real virtues, real achievements mm-hmm. of the soul, mm-hmm. uh, was the very reason why they went to hell. Mm-hmm. Because sure enough, it was, it was, not, it was nothing uh, less of admirable that, that a mother was able to release her son into the army, that right. she was giving him up for a greater good. Mm-hmm. But the greater good was was no good at all. Mm-hmm. It was no supernatural good. Uh, some could argue that it was a, a human good because it did breed tranquility, mm-hmm. a tranquility of order. Right. Um, but ultimately, it distracted the Roman citizens mm-hmm. from the proper end, which was life eternal with, with the Holy Trinity. Right. And so this has sometimes gotten some slack because flack excuse me Mm -hmm. because people want to say wait my neighbors down the street you know bob Mm -hmm. is really patient with his kids like genuinely patient like profoundly patient a real excellence of character a real excellence Mm -hmm. of character absolutely Mm -hmm. and so how do we deal with that right and so a number of thomas and the debate goes back and forth with them would want to say, well, actually, they do achieve real perfecting virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Thomas, he makes this, this distinction between infused virtues and acquired virtues. He also makes a distinction mm-hmm. between those two and, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to first talk a little bit about 
Thomas's mm-hmm. understanding of, of these virtues, right. um, which we, and then before seeing how those are, um, how this debate, that, which is really raging throughout all the yeah. medieval universities about yeah. what are virtues, uh, comes together to be summarized by uh, blessed Dunscotus, mm-hmm. um, which kind of, spoiler alert, is a bit of a return to the Augustinian model. But in with, certain ways, in I certain think it ways. is, yeah, yeah, with some innovations yeah. for sure that are different and new. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, yeah. I'll just say this again to kind of tie back everything we're doing to the political discourses that the conversations about virtues are in a, in a, in a very real way um, the dispositions of soul mm-hmm. that, as St. Maximus the Confessor says, uh, allow for God to be written on one's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it directly has to do with our salvation, while at the same time, um, when virtues are manifested, these mm-hmm. dispositions in our soul are manifested, it has to do with loving neighbor. Right. So it is political, right. inherently. I think that's so interesting yeah. that, that the the current interest in the proper political order and how that is going to work and how that relates to the moral order and, and virtue Right, is now like a raging debate and like you said that was the big debate back in the scholastic era and to me that's a that's a really positive sign that we're moving in the right intellectual direction because i i see the whole scholastic era as sort of the the apex of of faith and reason where faith and reason were working together in, in an amazing harmony and i don't see anything comparing to that in any in any other phase of history and anywhere else hmm. so i'm really glad that we're back to that key issue and their key issue as you said was so we've got this classical view of virtue kind of represented by Aristotle especially, but then we have this Christian view of virtue represented by Augustine. So how do these things go together? And so you had different scholastics that were trying to put them together. Sometimes uh, one commentator calls that the reconciliation project. How do we reconcile these two authorities now? And then you have other people that aren't as concerned about that reconciliation project. So maybe not as concerned as... Uh, of making sure we get all the Aristotle we can. For the Franciscans, for example, they didn't want to get all the Aristotle they could. They wanted mm. to get all the Aristotle that was useful to their their theological projects. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a great philosophical aid, but and he was the philosopher, but he's not something they were interested in maximizing, right, the use of. Yeah. Interesting. But that's cool. It's the same debate. Yeah. I think that's an interesting observation to get started with. Well, it gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, so I just exactly. look at the medievals, and I think they were the pinnacle of of intellectual nuance mm-hmm. and and uh, analytical rigor. Oh man, I just thought we'd never really get back there. We probably won't get back there. I mean, that's partly why we yeah. we're up again with these same debates, but we're turning to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wisdom wisdom is everlasting. So it's in every age. We got to find it. It's out in the streets speaking. Yeah. We just have to listen. Yeah. So so let's turn to Thomas mm-hmm. first. And can you break down the different categories of or how he conceptualizes the virtue maybe 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 a definition his definition of virtue i mean first. i th- i think he he takes defi- uh, a virtue to be a disposition right so a disposition in, in your character in your soul and um and he takes it to be something that that makes us good so that was a kind of aristotelian dictum that a virtue perfects its user right and makes his acts good mm-hmm. so that i think is something aquinas completely accepts um, and so there's a kind of causal relationship between the virtue or the disposition and the good act. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that um, I think is going to be challenged later on by Scotus, but that's one of his features. And he wants to say, you know, it's not the, the, the definition that was accepted before Aquinas slightly modified was virtue as a quality. But he needed to change that 
ontological category, right, from quality to disposition because he was trying to reconcile, right, the infused, as he calls them, virtues. Scotus is, is making Aqu this change. Aquinas, Aquinas, Aquinas okay, yeah. excuse me, sorry. So, so that was the reconciliationist, um, when they located virtue in an ontological category, it was a category of disposition. Right, used to say quality, like virtue is a quality yeah. of the soul. Right, right, right. But that wasn't the the uh, a category that allowed them to explain how both infused and naturally, you know, pagan virtues are both they're both virtues. Mm. So they needed like a, a better category so they can reconcile the two together. Remember that was the challenge. Right. And so Aquinas slightly modified that more traditional definition as virtue as a quality to virtue is a a disposition of the soul. Interesting. Um, so that was one thing. And then he said, you know, it's something that uh, its user can never make bad use of. That's from Augustine. And so he agreed with that part. Um, and he said that, you know, God works it, it works in it, it works in us, right? Um, but not without us. So he accepted that too. So he has, has a very pretty traditional definition there, following Augustine in some senses in the tradition, but slightly modifying the thing to reconcile so I think that's sort of, um, I think, the first step of what a virtue is. Mm. And so it, and if, we, if we reflect back on, I think, Aristotle's famous definition of virtue, right, that virtue is a, is, a, is a habit of choice, right, with respect to a mean, a mean that's defined relative to us, mm -hmm. right, by the prudent man. Mm -hmm. So that definition, I think, is largely accepted as well because it has to do with a mean which is adjusted by right reason, prudence, right? The prudent man is the one who habitually uses right reason. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty acceptable to scholastics and it's going to be modified in different ways based on this reconciliation problem. So I know that in, in his treatise on virtue, mm -hmm. St. Thomas defines, oh, actually I have it here, Yeah, probably worth, worth bringing out. Sure. Um, he defines virtue, but in, um, and it's in a very Augustinian way. He mm -hmm. just takes St. Augustine's um, definition but then changes it slightly to talk about pagan virtues mm -hmm. virtu versus, uh, versus Christian virtues. So the yeah. definition is, virtue is a good quality of the mind mm -hmm. by which we live righteously, mm -hmm. of which no one can make bad use, which God works in us mm -hmm. without us. That's right. Yeah. So I guess I have a couple questions here. So, um, I, but I should mention this too, is that actually, which is so interesting, is that um, Thomas says that, um, he goes on in this section and he says, uh, God is the efficient cause of infused virtue to mm -hmm. which the, this definition applies, the definition that I just yes. read. Yeah, directly. Yes. And this is expressed in the words, which God works in us without, without us. us. That's right. But then he goes on and he says, if we omit this phrase, yes. the remainder of the definition will apply to all virtues in general, mm -hmm. whether acquired or That's infused. That's right. So he has to modify that last bit where it says without us. He says yeah. not without us, right? Um, so we're involved, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. But so we're in, we're involved, but involved when it comes to acquired. That's virtue. right. So maybe virtues. can you can you help us a little bit first with thinking through the difference between acquired and infused virtues? What right. what? Is the big difference between the two of them so so the naturally acquired ones are when we make choices over and over over again we acquire a habit just like if you go brush your teeth every day you get the habit of wanting to brush your teeth when you wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and that helps you brush your teeth again mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so then you're good you're a good you know toothbrusher that's what i want for my kids <laughs> right so it's something you can naturally acquire by repetition Re repeating the same action over and over again you acquire this habit this pattern mm -hmm. right this thing that gets fixed in your soul and is a stable trait that you have or yeah. or inclination 
or disposition gotcha. or tendency, mm-hmm. right? Those mm-hmm. are all, you know, roughly the same. Um, and whereas the infused virtue is something that God, as he says there, e- efficiently causes it. He puts into you through his grace, right? Directly into your soul, you might say. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have all the feelings. So a, a Catholic who has, who's in a state of grace, according to Aquinas and, and others, is, has the infused virtue of charity and therefore has infused all the other virtues, right, that participate in charity. Even if they don't have any natural dispositions or inclinations in accord with those virtues, they're still in the soul. So that's why a person in a state of grace can still feel like, um, you know, lusting. Hmm. Even though they have, right, the virtue of charity, temperance, and all the other virtues infused that are connected to charity, right, they don't necessarily have the acquired um, feeling, right, associated with it in their, in their soul. Okay, so then infused virtues thus are a, a kind of almost a catalyst for acquired virtues. Yeah, in that it should way. be. Yeah. Yeah. Does it work the other way around? Are acquired virtues, uh, do they make someone more disposed to welcome infused virtues? I think virtues? they do make one more disposed mm-hmm. um, in, in general, but it can be, it's a, it's a two-edged sword to me, right? Because somebody can become, let's say, like the proud pagan. The mm-hmm. proud pagan, mm-hmm. the magnanimous man in the worst sense of the term, right? Who's, he's got yeah. all his goods that he wants. He's got all his moral perfection. He's a perfect nature. Right? He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't want anything else. Mm. Right? So he's mm-hmm. contented. So to me, that's sort of like the concept of limbo. Right? The virtuous pagan is still in hell. Right? He's not being positively punished, but the, the problem with him is his desires are radically defective. Right? Right. He's, he, he has a desire that's buried inside of there for God himself. Right. Okay. But he's not listing that because he's content with his moral perfection and like the absence of pain. Think like a stoic. Right. Like a stoic who's yep. perfected his system. Mm-hmm. Right? He mm-hmm. kind of settles for less. Or like even a Buddhist, settles right. for less. His right. desires have to be moderated down. Yep. But then he's got his like perfect project. He made himself, completed himself. Right. So there's a danger in just concentrating on only moral goodness sort of in itself as well. Um, it doesn't necessarily get you eternal happiness. Right. Right. Okay. So, so you can be good, so to speak, in this like you can perfect your nature. Right. But not be, um, not have eternal happiness. Right. Okay. It so seems this is... to me anyway. That makes quite a bit of sense, and it, it, it resonates very strongly with what I've read from St. Yeah. Thomas as yeah. well. Um, where does SCOTUS come into this mix? Yeah, so I think that in that reconciliation project, what happened was, what SCOTUS saw happening, was that the number of virtues, um, fruits, gifts, beatitudes, they, they multiplied. Um, they multiplied a lot as the, the pagan sources were there. The Christian sources were the stuff in, in the New Testament, different than kind of the stuff that pagans had, like, let's stick it all together. Mm. You kind of have this just explosion of different categories and habits, right? And so what Scotus wanted to do when he saw that was to simplify it. In fact, he wanted to employ what in the 14th century was called Scotus's rule. That's what they call it in the 14th century, which now we call Occam's razor. Wow. Scotus invented that. You know, we um, just, I, just yeah. as a, a side tangent for a moment... Mm-hmm. We conflate Scotus and Occam so often. Yeah. We often say that Scotus laid the foundations on which Occam stood. Yeah. And then Quick. Occam, and then, and then the baneful effects of Occam, like oh, they're often traced to Luther and the Reformation, and the Reformation's yeah. the big problem, and of course, I, I believe that. Yeah. But, yeah. but then, so this paradox, this narrative, this sort of big meta narrative. It really like has yes. Scotus as the seed from yes. which and all th- this came. I think it's really ignorant, actually. Okay. And, and just, yeah. it, 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 if one reads Scotus, not from the point of view of how to put him into a narrative, but seeing him as a, as a faithful friar, right? A Franciscan who's, mm-hmm. who's devoted to Our Lady, who's, whose name wasn't just, his title wasn't just the subtle doctor, 
but the Marian doctor, yeah. right? Hmm. And to see him as somebody who, who truly revered Our Lady, right, and defended the, um, the absolute primacy of Christ, right? right? This exalted, yeah. maximally exalted Christology. If you see him from that theological point of view, then I think these sort of narratives, they don't make any sense. Right. And so then when you read Scotus, you don't see these baneful elements. You see the positings. For example, Occam's famous for his sort of extreme nominalism, right? right. But Scotus was an ultra-realist. In one sense, Aquinas was a kind of nominalist, right? For a philosopher, has all different, 20 different kinds of nominalism. Where yeah. you can say, well, in one sense, you know, Thomas is a kind of, you know, moderate nominalist. Mm. Some people classify him that way. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But Scotus was an ultra-realist. Mm. And the exact opposite of Occam on that point. What happens, I think, is people conflate extreme nominalism with extreme voluntarism. So Occam was an extreme voluntarist where he said, God could command you to hate him. Right? God could command 2 plus 2 to equal 5. Like right. crazy stuff like that that yeah. Descartes picked up on. Right. Right? Whereas Scotus said, it's impossible for God to command the opposite right, of any commandment on the first table. It's logically impossible. Hmm. So God necessarily gives his own nature, right, his own goodness, its due. Right, so it's, it, it's kind of that same could, um, logical problem of could God make a rock that he himself couldn't carry? It's part it, of that, it's, yeah. It's in that same regard yeah, where, part of that. where could God create himself that not to be loved or yeah. something of yeah. that sort So I think even. Occam was interested yeah. in seeing yeah, how to understand um, omnipotence, mm -hmm. right? right? Or infinite power. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those are the same, sometimes those are distinct. But... You know, he, want, he was very interested in God's will and wanting to make sure he preserved the freedom and absolute sovereignty of God. And so I think he got to this extreme nominalism, which again, Scotus is not on, he contradicts that view. He contradicts the nominalism. And that's often this kind of metanarrative picks up on those elements in Occam, mm -hmm. but they're not in Scotus. That's not in Scotus. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. Good yeah. tangent. We'll yeah. have a longer conversation about that Sounds at good. Some, some point. Um, but in terms of virtue. Yeah. So he, he simplifies everything. That was his thing. He wanted yeah. to reduce, use Scotus's rule or Occam's razor, as yeah, it's later called, yeah. to simplify it. So Scotus asked the question, are the gifts, the beatitudes, the virtues, right? And the fruits, are, is, that, is that many habits or one habit, right? Mm -hmm. So what he actually answers that question and says, there's actually just seven different habits, huh. right? Okay. And they have multifarious names, right? But the seven habits are, you know, the theo what we call the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. Those are the seven what dispositions. Are those? So love, charity, hope, faith, right? Justice, prudence, temperance, and fortitude. Okay. So those seven, those famous seven, okay? Yep. Those are all the habits, right, that, um, that perfect a human being um, as a human being. And these other ones like the fruits and the gifts and the beatitudes, those are just different names for these seven or combinations of those and scotus painstakingly reduces right simplifies those lists and says these are really these but they're called this because scripture is talking in this language and has this mm -hmm. image and this sort of thing and he kind of walks through the whole thing step by step but that's his his project is to reduce those whereas aquinas for example he adopted the four cardinal virtues as acquired natural virtues right that like pagans could get mm -hmm. okay um, and then he had the infused virtues which were three faith hope and charity but then he said there's also the infused cardinal virtues. So now you've got two sets of four that have the exact same names, right? Justice, prudence, fortitude, and temperance. But one set's infused and one set's acquired. And then you've got all the fruits, which are also different. The Beatitudes, which are different. So Aquinas is one of those reconciliationists who multiplies his ontology a little bit 
to try to get what he needs. Whereas SCOTUS says, I don't need to multiply my ontology. We should prefer simplicity if we, if we can explain things otherwise. Right. So okay. we shouldn't multiply categories or kinds if not needed. If I hadn't read up on this, yeah. I think my head would be spinning yeah. a little bit on this. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I think everybody listening, viewing would probably appreciate the simple view. Yeah. Just just on its on yeah. its own. But uh, <laughs> but just to, to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Uh, there is this attempt for Thomas to say, uh, yes, those pagan virtues are real acquired virtues. Mm-hmm. They they are dis- they are well qualities. I guess is was yeah. what he says. Yeah. The dispositions yeah, must dispositions. come as codis. Yeah. Or no, does he? He, he says dispositions. He was that quote. That quote you gave yes. was the classical definition that he uh, it, it, that he received. Okay. So he's going to gloss quality that. as a disposition when he explains gotcha. it and gives the analysis. Okay, that's yeah. helpful. Thank you mm-hmm. for correcting me. Yeah. Um, for correctioning me, yeah, yeah, that was uh, whatever uh, a, new, a new category, but we yeah, needed it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. needed that. Yeah, so he takes this, uh, recognizes the dispositions of the disposition of prudence, yes. justice, temperance, fortitude mm-hmm. as real dispositions yes, in the soul. Yeah, which will make human life better than if you do not have. Yes, those. it will perfect. It's the, the, the person. Yes. Right? So they perfect the, the person, the human. If they're united. So here's another side of it. If mm-hmm. they're, so he makes the distinction between um, acquired virtues that are united and mm-hmm. acquired virtues that are not united. Yes. Uh, and if Loners. They, loners. Yeah. So think here of the bravery of the Nazi mm-hmm. SS so, soldiers. Mm-hmm. They had real bravery. Right. That was a real disposition of soul. Right. That was truly a disposition of fortitude. Right. When you see danger, you have the you... proper confidence in face of fear. Yes, so that when you see something dangerous, something that you fear, mm-hmm. you still go forward. Right. The SS soldiers had that. Yes. But it was a lone virtue. Right. It was not united to the others, mm-hmm. and therefore, satanic mm-hmm. ends emerged from what they yes. did. Yes. Yeah. Now, if they had that united to the other virtues, those would. Uh, look more like that magnanimous man, mm-hmm. perhaps, who yeah. is uh, not slaughtering millions of people, who mm-hmm. is perhaps benefiting mm-hmm. his neighbor in, mm-hmm. in at least a tangential way um, that people look up to and honor. Yeah. So, so as I understand the distinction you made, what, what Aquinas would say, who endorses the unity of the virtues thesis from, from Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Remember, Aristotle said that, that you, can't, you can't perfectly have justice um, temperance and fortitude without perfectly having prudence. And you can't perfectly have prudence unless you perfectly have those other three. Mm-hmm. So you can't perfectly have any acquired virtue unless you have all four. Right. So that you, so, so the way Augustine and, and following him, Scotus would put it, it's like, it's like you get the virtues all of a sudden on this view. You couldn't, you can't slowly get a virtue. You just all of a sudden get these real virtues. It's like, as Augustine said, it's like emerging for a breath of air out, out of water coming out mm. from underneath the water, mm. right? Like suddenly you get a breath of air. Hmm. Right, and so there's other things that you call loner virtues, as I understand Aquinas. And I could be wrong; I'm no expert, um, but but those loner virtues are not really perfect virtues. No, they they're can't not. Be complete or perfect virtues. No, no, so, he literally so like, calls them imperfect. They're like pseudo yeah. virtues, yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, he says they're, that they're, they're not necessarily bad things, because it, they are the exercise of that person's reason, right? But the person's exercising reason in their whole life, the narrative of their life, in a way that isn't making them good. Yeah, and certainly isn't it, making them happy. Yeah. Certainly, um, I guess the way of thinking about it is that 
because virtues are just these dispositions mm -hmm. in the soul. They're not actions themselves. No. So in other words, being having the virtue of fortitude is not having the action of, of bearing a sword in the midst of battle. Mm -hmm. It's that is a result of having the virtue of fortitude. I think that's a really important distinction between mm -hmm. Thomas, as I understand it, and Scotus. Okay. So so Great. so another dictum that, that often scholastics discussed was that virtue perfects its user, right, and makes the act good. So Scotus agree Scotus agrees with the first part of that, right, that it perfects the user. But he radically opposes the second part. Okay, so this is whereas really... Thomas accepts both of those parts. So it has to do okay. with the second one is the one that's the, the um, disputed one, right between those two. The second part being the second part being that it makes the act good. Right. So the virtue is what makes the act good. Mm -hmm. So somehow causally involved in making the act good. So, so just yeah. so now we're going to kind of trans transition the conversation mm -hmm. to. Scotus in relationship to Augustine and, and mm -hmm. seeing how he mm -hmm. um, carries on where he makes the same foundational starting place as Augustine and carries on in the distinctions. But before we, we make that transition, yeah. I, from my reading mm -hmm. of St. Thomas mm -hmm. and, and dabbling in the secondary sources, mm -hmm. I want to say that Aquinas is scratching at, at some of this. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not all of it. Maybe he would say that he properly disagrees, mm -hmm. but we have to r realize that St. Thomas was, especially his Summa, was laying the foundation of all topics. Mm -hmm. So he's not getting into the dirty details right. of right. of every single thing that the he's doing. There's there. a limit to the analysis. His, I mean, his, he said it's for beginners, remember? Yeah, exactly. Even so, all of us who are beyond beginners, it's still plenty for us. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah no kidding, right? So we want to take him for where he says that he is at. Mm -hmm. You know, he's laying the foundations for beginners mm -hmm. to then build on what he's doing. And I think that Scotus, again, from my read, maybe it's charitable or incorrect, but, but, I, think it's, but I do think it's actually right, um, that Scotus is actually taking the different parts that Aquinas has laid out for him, mm -hmm. better arranging them mm -hmm. to get to a conclusion that I think ultimately Thomas, had he been alive at that time, May, may very well have agreed with. Could have, yeah. Could have. I mean, yeah. he definitely agrees with certain things that Scotus teaches, yeah. you know, like the Immaculate Conception. He's sure. definitely having agreeing with Scotus on yeah. that, for example. <laughs> and, and other scholastics that didn't at that time believe that. I mean, Scotus right. was a, the lone defender in one sense, I mean, the minority position. Yes, uh, and, and now we praise the Blessed Virgin as the Immaculate. Absolutely. So, um, I think the place to start is with this quote from yeah. on Christian morality, okay. from Augustine. Yeah, you you want might bring that out? Yeah. yeah. Grab that. So yeah, I think this is a key difference because what Augustine wants to say is that the um, is that the uh, the virtues are rooted in the will, and whereas Aquinas will say justice is rooted in the will, but temperance is in the is in the um, concupiscible appetite, mm -hmm. right? And fortitude or courage is in the irascible appetite. Prudence is in the intellect. So there's like these different places in the soul that the virtues are located, the dispositions for mm -hmm. Aquinas, as I understand them. I think other Thomists would agree with that. Um, but uh, Augustine said it's all in the will. All the virtues are in the will, right? And the key virtue is charity. So he actually ends up defining all those virtues, those pagan virtues, in terms of love. So mm -hmm. that's the quote I'm trying to pull up here. Um, let's see if I can grab it. Here it is. So he says, as to virtue leading us to a happy life, 
I hold virtue to be nothing else than perfect love of God. For the fourfold division of virtue I regard as taken from four forms of love. For these four virtues would that all felt their influence in their minds as they have their names in their mouths. I should have no hesitation in defining them. That temperance is love giving itself entirely to that which is loved. Fortitude is love readily bearing all things for the sake of the loved object. Justice is love serving only the loved object and therefore ruling rightly. Prudence is love distinguishing with sagacity between what hinders it and what helps it. The object of this love is not anything but only God, the chief good, the highest wisdom, the perfect harmony. So we may express the definition thus, that temperance is love keeping itself entire and incorrupt for God, fortitude is love bearing everything readily for the sake of God, justice is love serving God only and therefore ruling well all else as subject to man, prudence is love making the right distinction between what helps it towards God and what might hinder it. So all the virtues are defined in terms of love, and love is in the will, right? Mm. And so that's something that Scotus definitely picks up on and agrees with, that all mm. the virtues mm. are in the will. Not right? in the intellect. Not, not, well, except prudence. Except Pru for prudence. He, prudence right. is in the intellect, but all the other ones are, are, are um, the cardinal virtues anyway, are in the, are in the will, right? For, faith is also in the intellect. Right, right. okay, um, okay. That hope is sense. in the will as well. So faith and um, prudence for Scotus are in the intellect. Okay. But all the other ones, so the five other ones are in the will. Um, but the point is when we talk about the moral virtues or the, the four cardinal virtues from Pagan, mm -hmm. right? They're not in different places of the soul. Prudence is in the intellect and all the other ones are in the will, not just justice. So temperance and fortitude as well. That's a huge yeah. change. Yeah, that, that's okay. a big change and that's really important. So, goodness, we're going to have to talk about that at a different point. Yeah. So i got to keep us on track sure. slightly. But the, um, the main key that I see here is that the true perfecting virtues are always in right accord with God, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, he created us. Mm -hmm. our, our natural end is being with him. He, the human nature is designated to be in right relationship mm -hmm. with him. There's not a secondary human nature that is uh, good on its own. Mm -hmm. um, that only leads you to limbo, mm -hmm. which, as you said earlier, yeah. Uh, which is just the best version of hell that right. you can get. Yeah. But it's still hell. Yeah. It's still separated yeah. from God. Um, so it's a, it's a good achieved, yeah. but but not a proper good. Can I just qualify that really Please, quick? Because yeah. I, I don't want to... Yeah. Something I'm worried about too, like you are, is the two-tier Thomism idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that that, that perf person in limbo is naturally perfected, I need to qualify that a little bit. Because mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. a Scotist, and I believe that the, the will... So he follows a, a Anselm on this point. And he, and he says that the will has two um, inclinations in it, inside of it, in its internal structure that are, that are naturally a part of it. So it's got this affection or inclination for justice, right? And then it's got this affection for the commodious or the advantageous or what's self-perfective of the nature of the human, right? Interesting. Okay. So, so actually the person in limbo doesn't, isn't completely perfect as a human, right? right. Because yes. their affection for justice which is the love for justice in itself, right? Right. Isn't tempering, right, the love of your own nature. And so this is the location of, of true freedom. That's for really Anselm helpful. And, yeah, and yeah. Anselm and yeah. Scotus. That justice, that affection for justice, or affectio justitiae, mm -hmm. right, is meant to be that, that we love God for God's sake. We love intrinsic goods for their own sake, not for our advantage, 
right? They are for our advantage, but that's not what motivates it, and that's not why we love it. So that's really um, interesting. So you have these two two inclinations, two movements in yes, the will. Yes, and, and they should be in a proper order. And they should be, they, yeah, yeah, they should be in a proper order, united and yes. directive in this yes. in this in the same direction. Mm-hmm. But one can be in, in the right direction while the other's not. Yes, as it were. So this, so yeah. so and Anselm, that's and those yeah. are the people. Those are the people that Dante is a good third order Franciscan. Yeah, that's right. Sets in limbo. That's right. And okay. and Anselm, right, um, wasn't a Franciscan obviously because that hadn't come about yet. Um, <laughs> but the Franciscans have a certain, especially Scotus, a certain favorable relationship. It's kind of a proto Franciscan, you might say, in mm, some sense, mm, as many mm-hmm. of his views. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know. Um, carved out this notion of the two affections of the will in his work on the fall of Satan. Because when he looks at Satan, he sees Satan wanted his own perfection, right, inordinately. So he was going for his own perfection. Really, truly, all the traits that he had, his intellect, right, right, his different yeah. powers, like he was trying to perfect those, but he wanted to perfect them without doing it for God's sake. Right. Right, doing it for his own sake or, or, or for God's sake, but in his own timing. Or you know what, like this, this is interesting. Sorry yeah. that I said we were going to transition from Aquinas, but I'll toss this in here yeah. too, is that the way that St. Thomas defines vices yeah. is, is by saying, he quote, inordinate virtues, mm-hmm. like virtues that get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what, yeah. you're, what you're mentioning. Yeah. And of course, with, with Satan, where he wants his own perfect, perfection, but inordinately, yeah. in, a, in a different way. And of course, that makes sense, as, as Aquinas does follow Augustine in this way, mm-hmm. that he, namely that he believes that Evil is a perversion mm-hmm. on the good, mm-hmm. so there can't be a, 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 an absolutetized vice. Mm-hmm. You know, there can't there can't be lust in and of itself. It right. has to be a perversion on yeah. uh, the proper love of beauty yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure which one of the yeah. virtues, but it yeah. but it, it it riffs on something mm-hmm. good. Right, and and that's uh, and that makes sense then mm-hmm. when you're talking about this uh, dual nature of the will. Yeah. Yeah. So then back to just to, just to sum up that part, it's like the yeah. person in limbo yeah. isn't actually completely perfect, right? Their, their natural powers, they've like honed those, yes. right, to be ordered in a certain way, but they're not doing it for God's sake, That's which is why they're not in heaven. Right, right? yes. Um, yeah. and, but here's another crazy thing Scotus says. Um, even if somebody did, right, let's say love God for God's sake, right, it doesn't just follow automatically that they go to heaven. Heaven is a free gift. God has to be free right, in whoever he elects and chooses for heaven, right? He doesn't just pick people in heaven because they deserve it, hmm. right? Nobody deserves it. So his acceptance of someone, right, is what then makes him underway to have a relationship to then make them worthy, right? Something that really truly does please him, but he chooses to be pleased, right? And then makes it fitting. So it's not the Protestant Lutheran view, Right, that oh, your nature is just kind of garbage, and he puts you know snow over the top of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it make so, it white as snow. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, so it's not yeah. that he. It, there really is that notion of. It's, the, it's not really making yeah. it white as snow. It's covering it with white snow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. But in this view, it's actually turning yeah. it as white as snow. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I think that's a profound yeah. point. Point two that that yeah. even if somebody loved God for God's sake naturally, in other words, this affectio justitia was active. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, it doesn't follow that person's going to heaven. Heaven is infinitely higher. I love the picture in Dante. Right. Yeah. Mount Purgatory, you're on the top, there's like a huge space. You can't, Beatrice has to come down. Like somebody has to bring him up. Right. It's impossible to yes. get up to heaven. Yes, yes. Literally impossible. God yeah. has to bring you up. Yes. So there's no deserving of heaven. You know? So there's no de- deserving of heaven. Uh, heaven is, is achieved by this perfecting of man to become in right relationship with mm-hmm. God and with neighbor. Mm-hmm. 
formation of virtues is essential in having God written on your heart and being able to then take take God who is written on your heart to your neighbor mm -hmm. in the actions mm -hmm. uh, that manifest themselves from the dispositions that you've cultivated and God has infused in, in you. Mm -hmm. um, there's a big part of SCOTUS that we haven't touched on yet, and I just want to touch on it quickly, but, sure. it's, but it's, I think it's monumental, mm -hmm. um, and it makes a lot of sense of some of the um, complexity mm -hmm. of Aquinas mm -hmm. and some of the um, more perceived, uh, almost recklessness mm -hmm. of Augustine's view mm -hmm. that seems reckless but also seems right. Mm -hmm. And um, by naming that you can cultivate dispositions in your heart mm -hmm. that don't enable you to get to heaven. Right. Um, and and Scotus's move here, chess, mm -hmm. chess maneuver here, is by cheapening yeah, virtues. Yeah, that's one way you could put it. Yeah. yeah. So can you describe that yeah, for us? Yeah, so, so I think that, that commonsensically we think like you gave the example of the patient neighbor who's like patient with his kids. You know, he yeah. might be kind of an angry person though when he deals with, you know, um, merchants or something like that. Sure, yeah. You know, so he might, but we might say that's really a virtue. So that's mm -hmm. why Scotus, I think, sides with common sense and does not defend the unity of virtue, right? Yeah. And he actually says, he goes even further and says every virtue Right, could be perfected all by itself. A lone virtue could be perfected all by itself. Yeah, yeah. Right? And another thing he does is, so he, he denies the unity of virtue. So we can allow the common sense view that, no, that really is a virtue. It really mm -hmm. is an excellence of character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? But that doesn't say yet anything whatsoever about wh whether that person is really loving God for God's sake. Right? Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. And another th a distinction I think he makes it, as so we could say it as he cheapens, you know, virtue, right? Or virtues of character. Um, is, is, and again, that's just being provocative, but not really cheap. They're not cheap, but you know what I mean? Because he separates moral goodness from happiness. So he agrees with, he agrees completely with Augustine that the only happiness is everlasting eternal happiness. Everything else isn't happiness, mm, mm -hmm. right? But that doesn't, but that's not, he separates that from good. So you could be completely morally good, mm. right? And not be happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's also sides with common sense. Common sense, we have all these examples of people that seem to be good and they try to be good and honorable, even when they're not happy and we praise them because they're choosing to be good for good's sake, yeah. right? And that, that doesn't lead to, so we think I, commonsensically there's a distinction between being happy, right? And being good. And so somebody could have these civic virtues, as Augustine called them, or imperfect, as uh, Aquinas called them, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, or just, Scotus says, they're just virtues. They really are virtues, right? But that's not what makes an act good, right? And the goodness of an act isn't what makes you deserve or have happiness in heaven either, right? So he emphasizes the freedom of God and the freedom of the individual, right? The, the freedom of the will. Mm -hmm. um, so I think these virtues are great and, they, and we should try to have them. As Augustine said, they make us more deserving if we're Christians. They make us more deserving of the gifts we've been given. Right? But not only that, it's us following the natural law. If we follow the natural law, in other words, right reason as promulgated to us, right, then we're going to develop virtues of all sorts. And so the more we encourage virtue in our society, right, no matter how we make of this metaphysical dispute, everybody, I think, in, the, in Augustine, Aquinas, you know, Scotus would say right reason right, is God's promulgation of the law, right? And when we use right reason, that makes us ordered, right? The different parts of us, whether we are like Aquinas and we locate those in the different parts of the soul or we're Scotus and we locate it in the will, I think the upshot's the same, 
in a political order. We should encourage these virtues because they encourage the right use of reason, which is the obedience and sensitivity to what is in fact God's law, whether people recognize it as God's law or not. It is de facto his promulgation of the law to us. Wow. And so that's how I see the importance of virtue is it upholds right, right reason as the guide for everything, right? And prudence is in the intellect and that's right reason, right? And then faith is part of, is connected to right reason, right? Faith and reason go together. And so I think that you ask whether it disposes us, right? Moral virtues. Well, mm -hmm. to me, it's not so much the moral virtue, the habit that disposes us to choose God as much as the right reason that gave rise to the habit in the first place. It's that that is us listening to our conscience, right? The voice of God. Mm. It's that that we're sensitized to, right? When we're when we're being virtuous and we're going for virtue. That was worthy yeah. of a of a proper Franciscan subtlety, right yeah. there. That distinction you made. That was nice. Cool. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Two last questions. Mm -hmm. um, first is that we're having this conversation on virtue ultimately to. Um, fill what I see as uh, a missing piece of this marvelous article or argument mm -hmm. that, uh, that Andrew's putting forward, yeah. that, that politics is ultimately about engaging in the formation of virtue right. or, or making people more virtuous. Right. Um, uh, so the first question that we have in, in filling this, this minor hole is asking, what are virtues? Mm -hmm. And that's what this conversation mm -hmm. is. Another conversation that we'll have is, how do you acquire virtues right. actually, which will right. be, um, which will make it uh, more uh, obvious how this conversation revolves around the discussions that New Polity has been having yeah. around the social order, around politics. Right. Um, so it will, it ultimately will come. Can the state actually help us to acquire virtues, mm -hmm. um, or is that best done in families? Is it only done in families? Mm -hmm. Is it only done personally mm -hmm. with neighbors, cities? Mm -hmm. Um, or can it be done at a, an impersonal technocratic level? Right. Um, if not, why? Yeah. So that's where we'll get to next time. Um, I look forward to that one. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, no, I think it'll probably be more interesting in many ways, but yeah. this is just the, the necessary building block. So, I, and, um, and it, and it really takes us, uh, sitting down for a moment and yeah. asking, do we have the virtues, um, that we, or what are these virtues? What are, what Excuse me. What it really forces us to do. Let me try that again. Yeah. Uh, what it provides us is the lodestar to which we're shooting. Yeah. What is it that we're trying to yeah. acquire? Yeah. And and these virtues are dispositions of soul mm -hmm. that enable us truly mm -hmm. to to love God. Yeah. Um, and then to be ready to love. Yeah. Love actively. Love and, and I think that the Scotus point. I know that was kind of your conclusion, but I just wanted to add one more thing. Yeah, please. I think Scotus's emphasis on the will, mm -hmm. right, um, and the freedom of the will, mm -hmm. following Augustine mm -hmm. in, in that regard, I think it is the key, because the point of virtue is to sensitize our will, mm -hmm. right, to what's right, mm -hmm. to what's good, mm -hmm. to what's true, mm -hmm. to what's beautiful, to God, mm -hmm. right. That's the whole point, right. That's where virtue comes from, and that's what virtue's for. That's its beginning and that's its end. So this right? is the importance of virtue. Yes, is it, it has to do with the sensitization of our will. So that we truly love, that's a will act of our neighbor, and love God for his sake. And I think that is all about the will. And so it's all about the will in the end. And that's what makes a person distinct from everything else right in nature, right? His will, of course, you can't have a will without an intellect, so add that in, so the human soul, right, being intellect and will and memory, 
right? That is what makes us distinct as human beings. And it's that element where we communicate and commune with God. It's that, you know, what Bonaventure calls the, the, the um, apex mentis, the, the apex of the mind, that we, where we touch God, right? That's ultimately what we're after in a political order, in an individual, family, anything, right? That's what all life is about. So, yeah. So give us quickly uh, two things that we can do in, as, a, as a foretaste to the next conversation, but just as uh, leaving off, off with a practical note, uh, how do we acquire virtue? Quick, yeah. quick couple things we could do. I think it's literally being, being sensitive to what's good for other people, mm-hmm. right? And in the circumstances, you, you think carefully, right? Yourself and with other people, what's really good for these people, for us, mm-hmm. right? For the common good, mm-hmm. right? And then what's good, right, in the common good is how it orients us to, right, an even greater good, which is God, who gave us all this, right, for our sake, right, to love us. So we see God's love and we try to love others. And so I think it focuses on love, just like that quote from Augustine, all virtue that really matters is ultimately a form of love anyway. So, I mean, that sounds kind of cheap in one way, but it really is all about love, the good of the other person, right? So that's what I would say. So so those are the things, stopping and considering the good of the other person and the good of good of everybody in your city. Yeah. And and it is a consideration of good and that requires reason. I think love gets cheap. Right. Like oftentimes right. I teach my students, you know, I say n- never use cliches like what what's the harm of two people that love each other. Right. That's a cliche. Yeah. So that means it's a set of words that somebody else put together and then a student says it. And nobody thought about yeah, it. And yeah. And they, it's not necessarily a thought. So it's a will without reason. Yeah. And so I say <laughs> to love. Yeah. Right. The discussion of how to you know de- deconstruct that cliche. Say, mm-hmm. well, what is it to really love someone? It's to, to care about what's best for them, to what's really, truly good for them, even if they don't believe it's good for them. And you have to know, you have to know something about reality to know what's good for someone really. And then you have to have the confidence to do it, even if it's against their will. Like if you're a parent, you have to do things against the will of your child for their good. Right. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we have a whole list of, you know, spiritual acts of, of mercy. And some of those involve going against what people want you to do to them. But it's for their sake and it's actually merciful, loving mm-hmm. for them. So I think that's the reason element. Right, that we have to think carefully about what's good, and that's all we can only know that if we know reality, truth. Yeah. Uh, right. So integration love of all truth. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're ultimately, and so the, to get to this lodestar, um, it's ultimately, of course, the beatific vision. That's right. And the virtue is, and the acquisitions of virtues mm-hmm. are um, stepping stones on, on that way. Exactly. Yeah. Help us see. Yeah. Right. And they actually bring the beatific yes. vision down into our souls mm-hmm. as well as our yeah. souls are lifted up. That's exactly it. what Augustine says. Yes. That's what yeah. virtue gives us. The hope of yeah. happiness. Yeah. That's what. That's all we can get. That's his famous Happiness it, being yeah. eternal. Yeah. That, the only real happiness. Yeah. Eternal, yeah. everlasting yeah. fulfillment of all of our natural bodily powers and soul powers. Mm-hmm. Right. The perfection of those for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so all we can get on this side of earth on this side of heaven, rather, mm-hmm. is the hope of that. And the pagans are full of folly, he says. The folly of the pagans was to think we could be happy this side of heaven. That's crazy. Yeah. We can never have that. right? So then we should always have, in the end, hope. Hope for this, this state that God has prepared for us, the mansions, right? Mm. The, the beautiful fellowship of the saints and angels, right? Being up in the heavenly courts where Our Lady reigns as the Queen Mother and Jesus Christ right, is there as the King. Right, and we are in that 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 vision itself, in that reality itself. Right. 
how can we end with anything better than that? Thanks, man. Yeah, you betcha.